Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. Here we are midweek already. Glad you've joined us. Today, we're going to talk markets and what's going on with uh, the JBS situation and the general economy. For that matter, with Arlen Suderman with Stone X, we'll get the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer with Michael Langmeyer, Purdue Ag Economist. And we're going to learn more about an organization that's been around a long time, but you may not be too familiar with it, the National Grange. We'll talk with the president of the National Grange, Betsy Huber, coming up on today's program. But let's start it off. We'll check the news with Todd Neely with DTN. Todd, thank you for joining us. Uh, this JBS story is certainly the is certainly the big one, and it really calls into question how vulnerable is our is our food delivery system in this country. Yeah, Mike, you know, it's really interesting. You know, we saw the Colonial Pipeline situation, uh, you know, sent the, sent the markets into a tizzy for a few days. Uh, and now with JBS, it's, uh, you know, it raises a lot of questions about uh, not only the market and the sensitivity of, you know, the cyber, the cyber situation, but, um, you know, there's really a lot to be said here about uh, the size of the market, the market transparency, all the things that uh, the cattle market is is uh, you know attempting to rectify here. Kind of all came to a head with this, in the, in a sense, because uh, as you know, JBS is one of the largest, if not the largest, cattle uh, producing company. And uh, you know, the thought of JBS not being a part of the market for a few days uh, really had a lot of people up tight yesterday. You know, we're starting to see uh, that JBS is actually bringing you know many of its meat packing plants back into to operation. Uh, it might take a few days, but it uh, looks like they've weathered this particular storm, but uh, who knows what's next. Yeah, as you said, it looks like they're coming back online, but it is interesting timing, right when there's so much scrutiny, questions, yeah. and concerns about cattle markets in this country. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we had a letter that was sent uh, at the beginning of the week by a number of, of groups connected with the NCBA. Uh, you know, talking about many of the situations, many of the, the issues that the industry faces, and uh, this letter was sent them to, to leaders in the in the House and the Senate Ag Committees. Uh, you know, they're trying to draw attention to many of these issues when it comes to transparency in the market. Uh, and you're right, it it, uh, it almost doesn't seem like a coincidence uh, that this cyber attack happened at this particular time. Um, but it, I think at the very least, you know, maybe uh, in the end of all of this, it's probably going to bring a lot more attention uh, to the cattle markets. And I think maybe that's a good thing for a lot of people in the industry. It's really been, uh, you know, there's been a lot of tough issues that this industry's faced and, and really needs to, to work through. And whether it's a fuel pipeline or a packing company or whatever it may be, I think it'll bring about a lot more questions and scrutiny about how much are they investing in protection against these types of cyber attacks. Absolutely, you know, Mike, and I think I think you're right. I think every segment of agriculture here in this in this particular instance probably needs to stand up and take notice. You know how good is their, their cybersecurity? 
you know, where are the vulnerabilities and, and where, uh, you know, where, what are they going to do to address them? Because I think uh, the JBS and the Colonial Pipeline situations have proven that uh, nothing is secure entirely. You know, these are very large companies. They, <clears throat> they operate and move a lot of product. Uh, and yet we saw what, you know, just a, a single instance of a cyber attack can mean for, uh, for these size of companies. And another story to watch here. We've, you and I have talked a lot about the the shutdown. The Biden yeah. administration almost immediately shut down the Keystone XL pipeline project. Now the Biden administration is suspending oil and gas drilling leases within Alaska's Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, pending the outcome yeah. of an environmental impact review. I understand environmental concerns, uh, but it seems to me if you have an administration pushing towards electric vehicles one way maybe yeah. to do that it makes me question is one way to do that uh, to kind of push up the price of of gasoline which we have seen happen since biden took the white house gas prices have gone up so that makes me wonder is, is all this part yeah. of a plan to try to get people to electric vehicles yeah mike you know you're right it does raise a lot of big questions you know um under the previous administration, we saw a lot of these uh, a lot of these situations were entirely different. You know, we were seeing a, a vast opening of, of uh, oil production lands. We were seeing all kinds of things that suggested, you know, the future is in fossil fuels. And uh, you're right with this administration, it's it's really changed course. And I think, um, you know, there's there's a lot to be said for. Uh, you know, different administrations coming in and different policies, you know, there's just differences in, in whoever's in the in the White House. But uh, I think one thing we can agree on is the importance of, of energy production. And uh, I do think that when you see policies like this with ANWR in particular, uh, you really have to start wondering where we are going as a nation. Uh, you know, there's a lot of room out there for, for things like biofuels and, and other things to, to, to take center stage. But I, I do think that it does raise a broader question about, you know, what this, uh, what our energy future is going to be. Speaking of biofuels, Poet has made another uh, purchase of an ethanol plant. Yeah, Poet, you know, it's uh, it's already the largest producer of ethanol in the United States, if not the entire world. Uh, yesterday, they finally announced that they they had agreed to acquire uh, the ethanol plants from Flint Hills Resources, which is based in Wichita, Kansas. Um, you know, I think it says a lot about where the current state of things in ethanol, is, uh, where it is at this moment. I think we're going to see more of these types of announcements. Um, I, I do think that, you know, the, this industry goes through periods of consolidation. We've seen it uh, throughout the past 10 or 15 years. Uh, but this is a big one. This really puts uh, Poet at the very top of the food chain. And Flint Hills Resources, you know, they were the number five producer in the country before this. And so... It makes you wonder how many other companies out there are looking to step away from uh, from the industry. Will be interesting to see. And what's the latest on the the mead ethanol situ- ethanol plant situation in Nebraska? Well, Mike, uh, at this point, as far as you know, the seed companies are still uh, leading the way when it comes to the cleanup in mead. Uh, as you know, there was a lot of uh, this, this particular ethanol plant used uh, treated seed corn. Uh, with fungicides and pesticides to produce ethanol, which uh, now, after all this has surfaced, uh, the state of Nebraska passed a law that made it illegal to use that type of sea corn uh, producing ethanol. And so now we're kind of 
we're still monitoring what's going on. Uh, we're not getting a lot of um, information from seed companies or EPA or anybody else. Uh, and so we just kind of wait to see. We hope that uh, things are going the right way for that community. It's a very small community, and they have a lot of big questions about what's going on. All right, Todd, thanks for the update. Good to talk with you. All right, thank you, Mike. Take care. Todd Neely, DTN reporter. The National Grange has been around a long time. Do you know much about the organization? What are they doing these days? We're going to talk with the president of the National Grange, Betsy Huber, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Want to reduce your risk of developing cancer? A healthy diet can help. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Toby Smithson. It's been proven that a healthy lifestyle and early detection can prevent nearly half of all cancer deaths. So eat right. Choose a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables every meal. Look for foods low in calories, fat, and sodium. And maintain a healthy weight. A registered dietitian nutritionist can help. Find one at eatright.org. Recently on Adams on Agriculture from the National Milk Producers Federation, Shauna Morris, who heads up their trade team. This is good news that the action is being taken for a dispute panel challenge. The not good news, Canada has continued with policies that we hoped USMCA would uh, resolve when it comes to dairy. It's been a long time coming and one that dairy farmers and processors from all across the country have been really eager to see a move forward to actually enforce our rights under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. It is disappointing that we have to go through this dispute settlement process just to actually get the agreement terms that were so painstakingly negotiated for. Unfortunately, it's not a huge surprise. Canada on dairy has the longest track record of working to push the envelope and evade some of their commitments. What's most remarkable here is simply the U.S. desire to not tolerate that. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. 
For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, one week from today, I will be in Des Moines, Iowa at the Iowa State Fairgrounds to cover this year's World Pork Expo. Next Wednesday and Thursday, I'll be broadcasting from the State Fairgrounds in Iowa and Des Moines. And uh, the show is actually a three-day show. It'll run next Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, the 9th, 10th, and 11th. Marks the first time in uh, a few years now that the World Pork Expo has been held two years ago. It was uh, canceled because of African swine fever concerns and then last year of course uh, because of covid concerns but this year it is back and uh, they are planning on a big show more than 700 exhibit booths representing companies from uh, not only north america but around the world and they'll have their hospitality tents throughout their fairgrounds and that's a great place for folks to uh, get together and uh, network and they'll also of course have uh, the big grill and a lot of great seminars and uh, educational events so looking forward to it again hope you'll if you're going to be there look forward to seeing you at world pork expo next week and hope you'll join us for our coverage next wednesday and thursday i'll be broadcasting from world pork expo at the iowa state fairgrounds all right the uh, national grange a family community organization with Roots in Agriculture, was founded in 1867. But uh, do you know very much about uh, the National Grange today? Well, we'll get a chance now to learn more about it. We talk with the president of the National Grange, Betsy Huber. Betsy, thanks for joining us here on AOA. Thank you very much. Tell us, um, for those not familiar with uh, the National Grange, give us a little bit of background. Okay. The Grange, as you said, was organized in 1867, uh, right after the Civil War, to um, reunite the North and the South and to uh, improve agriculture. Agriculture farms in the South were destroyed in the war. And uh, our founder, Oliver Hudson Kelly, was sent on a tour of the South by the president, uh, to see how how farmers could be helped in the South. And so he had the idea to form a fraternal organization, kind of patterned after the Masons. And that uh, the purpose was education of farmers and a social life for the, the farm families that were isolated out in the country. So that's what we've been about ever since then. Uh, agriculture basis. We're not all farmers anymore, but we're still interested in food and agriculture and rural life. Yes, tell us about the National Grange today. Yes, we uh, are still nationwide. We're in about 37 states, 1,500 local Grange chapters. And uh, we're, we're mainly about community service today. Each chapter 
can decide what their community needs, what they can work on in their community to improve life. So that's um, what we concentrate on in addition to our lobbying in Washington, D.C. and state capitals. We have a presence. Our office is in Washington, D.C. <clears throat> I can look out at the White House out my office window. And uh, we're involved in anything that affects rural life, rural families. <clears throat> um, today it's broadband, especially, and healthcare, and the farm bill, and anything to uh, help farmers survive in, in these hard times. We're talking with Betsy Huber, president of the National Grange. Now, you mentioned it's very much a family-based organization, right? With full membership begins early on, what, age 14? Yes, age 14. And uh, an awesome thing about the Grange is that we included women on an equal basis with men and 14-year-olds on up uh, from the very beginning. So, you know, 1867 was... 50 years before women's suffrage. So we were really ahead of our time, but women have always been um, able to be officers and uh, just members on an equal basis with men. And uh, teenagers can vote in the Grange meetings, uh, the same as their parents and grandparents, which is neat. We have a lot of programs for children and youth our junior range starts at age 5, 5 to 14, and lots of states have uh, junior range camps. They have lots of contests and activities, and it's really a leadership training program for young people to uh, the junior range. They have their own officers. They have their own meeting procedure, and they, they pretty much operate on their own under the auspices of the adult branch, of course. Is your organization growing? We're growing in some areas. Um, this last year has been very difficult, as you can imagine. Grange is all about meeting in person and, and doing activities in person and uh, holding suppers and fundraisers, so it's it's been really difficult to continue to operate, but I'm very proud of them for leaping into the 21st century with Zoom and uh, lots of other methods for getting together to still conduct our business. Roughly how many members do you have across the country? We have about 150,000. Uh, everywhere from Alaska to Florida, Maine to California, all across the country. And you mentioned some of the issues that you're uh, working on, whether it be farm bill or, or broadband. Those are issues that uh, we're very familiar uh, with other uh, ag groups working on as well. So your voice is one of those working on behalf of uh, uh, rural f families and communities across the country. Yes, that's right. We're, we're right here in D.C. and uh, very much involved in lots of coalitions for rural America, agriculture, um, rural health care 
is has been especially difficult over the past year too. So we're we're working on uh, telemedicine and vaccination encouragement and all kinds of uh, current issues going on. It's been very busy. Mm -hmm. What is your message right now to your members and to others across uh, the country? <laughs> Our message right now is we're we're back. We never left, but we're we're back in action in, in local communities. Lots of granges that have not been able to meet in person are uh, opening up again and running their halls out and uh, doing fundraisers to support their community service activities. So uh, we're we're still here. We're very active. We're um, we're a great place for families to participate. Now, if you've discovered how how busy you were before the pandemic and uh, now that you've been without all those activities for a year, consider the Grange because uh, the whole family can participate together. It's great service to uh, your community. Your family can benefit through uh, the leadership opportunities we offer and uh, lots of crafts and contests and public speaking and all kinds of educational opportunities. Well, I think that's an interesting way to put it. You're back, although you've never left, but uh, maybe we haven't heard as much about the Grange uh, in uh, recent years, and perhaps we'll hear more from you and your organization moving forward. Betsy, good to talk with you, and uh, thank you for letting us know about the, the work of your organization. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, take care. Betsy Huber, president of the National Grange. By the way, their 155th National Convention is scheduled for November 9th through the 13th in Wichita, Kansas. All right, coming up next, we have a lot to talk about with Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist for StoneX. Not only talking about the ups and downs in the markets, but want to get his thoughts on the JBS uh, situation and just uh, general economic uh, concerns. Some are wondering if, uh, you know, what about inflation? Are we in some kind of a boom before the bust in the ag economy? All kinds of things to talk about. We'll go over it with Arlen Suderman next, right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. 
For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. U.S. crops haven't been getting enough rain in areas to assure traders of the near-record national yields the USDA forecasts. The intensifying drought in the western U.S. seems to be inching its way eastward, and temperatures are expected to get hot this week. On the Board of Trade July corn, trading four and three quarters lower at 683 and three quarters. The September contract down four and a fraction at 598. For soybeans, the July contract trading eight cents higher at 1556 and three quarters. The August contract up 10 and a fraction at 1511 and a fraction. For wheat, Chicago wheat July up a penny and a fraction of a cent at 694 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat July up three and a fraction at 641. Minneapolis spring wheat July up 21 and three quarters at 793 and a fraction. The September contract up 21 and three quarters at 797 and a fraction. The cyber attack shut down five of the largest beef processing plants in the U.S which handles about 22,000 cattle per day, or about 25% of the beef capacity in the country and nearly 20% of the pork sold in the U.S. JBS closed its meat processing plants in Nebraska, Texas, Wisconsin, and Utah, and also reduced processing in Iowa and Colorado plants. For live cattle on the Board of Trade, the June contract up $1.65 at $1.15.20, August up $1.12 at $1.17.70. For feeders, the August contract up $0.72 cents at $1.49.80, September up 82 cents at 152.80. Lean hogs, the June contract trading 35 cents lower at 118.27. The July contract down 25 cents at 119.35. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 97 points, the Nasdaq Composite up 14, the S&P 500 up 9, crude oil in New York, the July contract up 47 cents at 68.19 per barrel, the U.S. dollar index is trending higher. You're listening to AOA. Have a great day. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, lots to go over with Arlen Sitterman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. Arlen, thank you for joining us. So we've got Parts of the country that remain very, very dry. Other parts are very wet. I talked with a farmer yesterday in northeastern Iowa, concerned about frost damage. The insurance adjusters were out looking at uh, his fields. 
he was going to have to make uh, some determinations, decisions coming up on possibly replanting quite a bit of his his crop. So there are these weather concerns out there, but yet we get our weekly uh, numbers that say planting's going great, the uh, crop conditions look good so far, so we have conflicting uh, kind of information out there. Is this a weather market we are in right now? Well, people define weather market differently. I would say that it is, but it's not just related to the United States. It's related to the combination of United States, Brazil, and China on the demand side. And so with Chinese demand being so strong and the Brazil crop getting so small, that puts that much more emphasis on the U.S. having a big crop this year. So therefore, the market's putting some weather premium back into the price in order to uh, trade that potential risk of a weather problem. I don't think it's trading an actual problem so much as they can't afford to have uh, the risk of a problem. The forecasts are not overly encouraging. I mean, uh, brings about the concerns of a hot, dry summer ahead. Um, what are the markets looking at? Are they looking that far ahead? I, th I think the markets, for the most part, are looking at the crop ratings and saying this crop's off to a good start. I don't want to minimize what the risks are, um, but when you ask me what the markets are saying, I, I think they're focused on the crop ratings, but got to keep those crop ratings. I don't think they're too worried about the dryness. Uh, as a former agronomist myself, it's a great concern. We can still grow a good corn crop if we get a, you know just a continuous flow of timely rains throughout the growing season and if heat is not a factor. That's a lot of ifs. So that does put a lot of risk in this growing season. And what, with the short Brazil crop, we probably need an above-trend crop this year. And I think an above-trend crop is, the, well, I'll put it this way, the odds of above-trend crop are pretty small right now. A trend yield can't be ruled out at this point but I would have trouble accepting an above-trend yield, and I think there's probably higher odds of a below-trend yield when you look at how dry the soil profiles are as we head into the primary growing months. Talking with Arlen Sitterman with Stone X. So, Arlen, those weekly numbers that come out on crop conditions are going to be watched extremely uh, closely, I would guess, then by the markets, right? Yeah, they will be, and... Uh, you know, as we look at the crop ratings, it's not unusual for a crop to look good early in the season. The rating was a little higher than I expected because I felt like we had enough areas that were cool. You mentioned some of the uh, the freeze damage risks that we had this last weekend and some areas that were damaged. Um, but there's enough areas cool that the crop is just small and kind of in that ugly stage that I expected this initial reading to be a little bit lower then to get a little bit better as we heat up and then to start pulling lower once again. Uh, but the correlation with these early ratings and final yield is just extremely poor. Uh, it really comes down to where we sit a month from now as we head into pollination of the southern crop and then as it works through the month of July, works north. Uh, and so the trade's going to be watching the, the long-term weather forecast. And right now, um, there's they're kind of keeping an eye on it, but they're not too concerned because confidence is low that far out. But 
It gives me a lot of reason to be concerned when you look at the northern and western part of the Midwest, soil profile so dry, and indications that we're probably going to be in a similar weather pattern for the next 30 days. That doesn't set us up real well for the month of July when we pollinate the bulk of the crop. Uh, we're going to just have to have things go really well uh, to get the crop that we need this year. What are your thoughts big picture, Arlen? I mean, we have higher prices now. We have had for some time. This rally's been going on since uh, last August. But we've seen, along with those higher prices, we've seen uh, an increase in production input costs, and we see cash rents, land prices. Uh, those prices uh, go up as well. What do you see for the ag economy moving forward? Do you have concerns? Well, I tend to be a glasses-half-full type of guy when it comes to agriculture. Uh, there, There's always opportunities in agriculture. Just sometimes you have to work harder at those opportunities than other times. Uh, as we go forward, I think that um, the overall inflation cycle that we're in is probably going to keep uh, commodity prices elevated, but that also means input prices elevated. I think there's going to be some good opportunities for agriculture going forward. I tend to be an optimist from that standpoint. Uh, but what we're going to do with these higher prices is we're going to encourage expansion of production in Brazil and in the Black Sea region, and, and we're eventually going to get into a cycle here probably a few years down the road um, when we're going to regret that prices got so high because it brought so much production uh, to areas of the world that compete with us while input costs remain high. So I think the next few years are generally going to be good for agriculture, um, depending on what happens with the tax and regulation side of things. Um, but then we could come into some tougher times as, as we get into the, the mid-2020s and later. As we've seen before, high prices don't solve all problems. They sometimes create a few new ones that you have to deal with or some that we haven't seen in a while. All right, let's uh, let's talk about the JBS situation. What's your takeaway from this? Well, you know, once again, it's a vulnerability that we are is in a, a technology-oriented world that is so interconnected, and our beef capacity, processing capacity is so tight the way it is. I think we're fortunate that JBS is able to get back online and start processing again much quicker than than what the Colonial Pipeline was. Uh, perhaps that's because they were better prepared to to respond, and maybe they had better backup systems in place. Maybe they paid the ransom uh, quicker. I I don't know, uh, but they are getting back online. Most of the plants are online today, and. It, it did set us back. We needed to be at about 669,000 or so ahead per week slaughtered cattle uh, for you know four out of the next five weeks to really get current and kind of get past this problem of capacity. And this sets us back being down about 30,000 head or so for the week um, with the holiday in there as well. We were down about 20, 25% from where we needed to be yesterday. We'll kind of come back today, but we don't have the capacity to make up for yesterday unless we can get employees to work weekends, which has been a difficult thing to do in the processing sector here of late. And so it just pushes back later into the summer. Uh, we have to wait for the numbers to go down before we can start getting current with this cattle herd and get past this capacity problem. 
and comes at an interesting time when a lot of questions are being raised about the cattle markets anyway um, and what the producer gets what the consumer pays what the packers are making a lot of questions as this hits right now it really is you know there's all the commentary that comes out every day from the various markets and when we look at the commentary from the cattle market you say what did cash cattle do this week or and what did processed meats do and and stuff but frankly choice cuts could probably come down 75 dollars per hundredweight and not make a difference on the fundamentals for what we pay cash cattle our cash cattle market, which therefore impacts where our board is trading, is simply set by what the processors choose to pay because that's a position they're in right now with the demand for beef being far greater than what they can pull animals through the plant. And uh, so they've been choosing to pay around that $119, $120, and so that's where the board has been hanging around um, while we do that and is probably going to be the case until we can get the numbers low enough, uh, few enough cattle coming out of the feedlot to bring things back into balance again to where they have to pay what they're worth. One final note on China, uh, are they, uh, we don't think they're going to quit buying, but do you think those uh, purchases are going to slow here for a while, or do you see them picking back up? Well, it's been interesting that they've quietly become the number three buyer beef year to date. Uh, and part of that's because of Argentina putting a freeze on purchase on sales, trying to contain uh, overall um, inflation there, which is said to be 50% inflation. Um, and now the unions down there, the farm unions, are saying they may stop sales of livestock and grain. Um, so that'll be interesting. But regardless, um, we see China starting to get a handle on African swine fever again this summer. We're seeing signs of that and resume rebuilding of the hog herd and bringing back meat supplies in the second half of this year. So I think overall we're going to see fairly solid exports of beef and pork this year. As we get into next year, we're going to be more dependent on some of the non-China countries. I think we've expanded that demand base over the past year, but China is going to be decreasing as we go into 2022, a decreasing factor in that. All right, Arlen, lots going on. Thanks for your perspective as always. We appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. So how are farmers feeling about things? Uh, higher prices, but weather concerns, uh, some uh, policy concerns out of Washington, D.C. Uh, what do they feel about China? Land prices, input costs. The latest numbers are out from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. And we'll talk with Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer and get those numbers next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block, 
maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Hey, it's me, your cell phone. We need to talk about something, something serious. I know you love me, I know you like using me wherever you are, but I feel like this isn't working out when you're driving. I know you may think that it's possible to focus both on me and the road, but I just don't feel the same way. I think we should spend time away from each other when you're driving. It's for the best. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, a recent federal district court ruling struck down a provision of USDA's new swine inspection system. Here to talk about it is Andrew Bailey, National Pork Producers Council's Science and Technology Legal Counsel. Why could this have such a negative impact on pork producers? But what that rule did was finalize a pilot program that had been operating in five plants for well over 20 years. And those plants have been operating differently and at these higher line speeds, uh, significantly above some of them, the 1,106 head per hour limit. This decision in late March has essentially said that by July, they're going to have to drop down that lower line speed point. And it's going to be about a 2.5% cut to harvest capacity across the U.S., but for each of these six plants that were operating above the line speed, it's actually going to be a 20 to 30% hit. These plants, you know, most of them are, are not in Iowa, so you're looking at, you know, states like Oklahoma or Michigan taking a significant hit. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. 
From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. The Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer declined 20 points in May, the lowest reading since September 2020. Joining us now to go over the numbers, Michael Langmeyer, Purdue Ag Economist. Michael, thanks for joining us again. Despite uh, strong commodity prices, we see this uh, significant decline in the barometer. What's behind these numbers? Well, it's kind of this was kind of an interesting the barometer. I was a little surprised that the drop was as bigger as big as it was, but but certainly there were several questions where we saw a drop in sediment. Uh, looking at both the sub-indices, index of current conditions and index of futures expectations, uh, even though the index of current conditions is still above the index of future expectations, they both dropped rather sharply. Uh, another somewhat surprising uh, drop was the drop in the Farm Capital Investment Index, which is an indicator of, of of, of individuals' willingness to to purchase machinery, and so uh, those those were some surprises uh, in the barometer. There's a couple things I think that were going on behind the scenes that that are important to uh, important to understand this drop. One of those is the last couple of months there's been a large divergence in the sediment uh, for crop producers and livestock producers, and a full third of the survey uh, is of livestock producers and particularly uh, uh, cow cow calf producers, but the beef industry in general, and certainly the sediment is, is much lower uh, for the livestock producers uh, compared to the crop producers, and so I think that contributed uh, to, to the drop in the index, but even though we don't ask the question directly, I think there's also uh, some, some um, um, worries, at least, regarding inflation. Uh, there's a consumer sediment index out of the University of Michigan, and they actually survey inflation, and they found a rather large drop in sediment in May uh, because of, of inflation concerns. And certainly we have inflation concerns uh, in production agriculture. And it's always important to remember that farmers are consumers also, and so they're seeing some of the same things that consumers are seeing. And so I, I, think, I think those two things, uh, the divergence of opinion between crop and livestock producers and just some – uncertainty related to where prices are going. I mean, here I'm talking input prices are going uh, in the near future. Uh, it really created this drop in the index. Yeah, input costs, including things like cash rents, right? They're concerned about those. Yeah, we asked a question related to cash rents because uh, because uh, because of the high prices, there's been a lot of upward pressure in both cash rents and, and, uh, and, and land values. And here we focused on individuals that produce corn. 
Uh, and so about, about 70% of the uh, people surveyed or the respondents uh, intend to plant corn in 2021 or have already planted corn in 2021. And 65% of those folks expect cash rents to be higher. Uh, uh, that wasn't that surprising because we're seeing upward pressure in cash rent across the Corn Belt, Great Plains, and 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 and, and, and all of the major uh, you know produ- produ- production regions. But what was a little surprising, uh, at least to us anyway, is a, a full 43% of those that thought cash rent was going up thought that cash rent was going to go up more than 10%. We haven't seen increases like that since the uh, 2010, 2011, 2012 period, and. Uh, and, and, and what's happening here with prices, it's, it's not just a 2021 uh, effect. Uh, the, high, the higher crop prices look like it's going to be late 2020, 2021, and perhaps into 2022. So when you see a, a long period like that where, where crop prices are, are relatively high, uh, that's when you see the rather large, upward, you know, large increases in cash rent. And so I think that's also uh, you know, uh, making some people worry because, because as we know, uh, a, a quite a, a, a relatively large percentage of the ground that, that crop producers farm is cash rented. And not surprisingly, producers are very concerned about potential uh, changes in tax policies, right? Especially when it concerns, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, when it concerns whether it's inheritance taxes or taxes. transfer taxes, right? Yeah, we've been asking a, seri- a series of questions related to estate taxes, and, and about 80% are very concerned about changes in estate tax policy, uh, and that includes concerns about capital gains increases, uh, concerns about elimination of the step-up in basis for inherited property. That would be a very large impact for people that inherited property. And then concerns about uh, the estate tax exemption uh, being lowered considerably. Uh, under under the current administration, so all of those are are are, are very concern uh, concerning uh, to producers. There's also some concerns that uh, that we're going to be able to export uh, as much as we've been exporting recently, and so only 45% expect increase in exports in the next five years. That's quite a bit lower than what it was running uh, last fall. Now I don't know if that's because uh, we've seen the large increase in exports and they don't continue, or they're just just worried in general about. Uh, you know uh, whether China is going to to ex- you know import a lot of our corn and soybeans down the road. So even in the midst of uh, strong market prices, we are seeing these uh, uh, kind of storm clouds gathering, or uh, farmers are seeing the the dark clouds and have real concerns moving forward. Yeah, that, that, but I, I do want to point out that the, one of the things that we keep track of is, is financial performance. We asked a question related to financial performance, and even though there's People are not quite as optimistic there. They're still much more optimistic than, than what they were last summer. And so it's always important to keep that in mind. Uh, you with the strong prices, 2021 looks like it's going to be a good net return year. Uh, we you know, obviously have concerns about cash rent and other uh, inputs uh, increasing in, in value. And another bright spot, and again, this depends on whether uh, you own a lot of ground or, or you're buying ground, but, but there's, a, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, a positive sentiment regarding land values. Uh, uh, 63% expect land values to increase in the next 12 months, and so certainly those that own ground, that's very positive in the balance sheet perspective. Uh, 66% think that land values will be higher five years from now than they are right now, and so and so there, there is some very positive things going on in the balance sheet, particularly for those that, that own land. 
Uh, you know, financial performance is expected to be relatively high. Uh, but despite all that, you know, the high prices, uh, uh, you know, uh, strong strong land values, uh, you know, pretty strong financial performance in 2021. There's just there's just quite a bit of uncertainty. Uh, you know, about the economy, uh, the difficulty of hiring people, mm-hmm. for example, inflation, uh, some of these kinds of things that, that, that is really creating some, some, some concerns uh, for, for producers. Yep, some good perspective there. Thank you very much, Michael. Good to talk with you. We'll check in again next month. Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer with the latest results from the Ag Economy Barometer. Have a good day, everyone. Thanks for joining us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.